Welcome to Writer Syndrome, a podcast about writing from start to finish. This episode's topic is story archetypes. I'm Russ Capasso. Joining me as always is Tim Letney. Tim, how are you? Because I always ask you that. I am well, Russ. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I appreciate are you, are you your feeling, concern. Are you feeling like an archetype right now? Yes, I am feeling it. Uh, what am I feeling? Like one of archi- them. I don't archi- know what one. <laughs> I'm not sure which Try one. Try to fit yet. me into one by the end of this. So we're gonna we're gonna tackle archetypes, uh, or or as I like to say, archetypes. Um, archetypes. Gonna, archetypes. We're gonna break them up in two two different uh, sessions, though, because we realize there's a lot to cover. So we're gonna do this one. We're gonna cover story archetypes. There's generally speaking like seven, uh, and then we'll we'll do another episode about uh, characters because that's gonna be a little more deep dive into the different character types there are so yeah story archetypes do you feel your i'm going to come out right off the bat here and we're both going to answer this i you know i'm going to do this you always give me this this stumper to start with that i stumble through i know it's gonna be great uh don't worry i'll edit it to make you sound sound really 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 (laughs) smart (laughs) good luck well i'm gonna have to answer it too so i'm just i'm stalling do you feel your story uh falls into a particular archetype i can say broadly i think it falls into one with a little bit of another um and then why don't we list them okay all right. So the seven, these are, so this is off masterclass. Um, there's also, I mean, you can find this pretty much anywhere, selfpublishingschool.com. But there's generally speaking like seven classic story archetypes, right? So there's like the rag to riches. I'll, I'll just list them and then we can go through them, you know, kind of deep dive if we kind of go through our own experience from them. But so there's rag to riches, uh, the quest, rebirth, uh, overcoming the monster. There's the comedy, there's a tragedy, and then Voyage and Return. So these are kind of like the general models for most of the stories we read, watch, uh, and hear about, right? Do you fit into any of these very succinctly? Um, I would say... Square peg, square hole? <laughs> I don't think so. So, I mean, I think like falling into one is is great. Um, that's fine. Uh, I feel like mine might be like a, a little... I think mine falls more in like the quest, right? I think there's thing that my characters are searching for they kind of travel the world finding this thing but i also think there might be a little mix of like maybe a voyage and return where my Mm -hmm. character he goes away and he comes back kind of you know a changed person and his new wisdom and life experience and gets gets him through something but i don't think mine fits the square hole square square peg i don't think many do and i think we can go through that like as i was looking at examples of each of them yeah arguments can be made for some that are the quest that also fit voyage and return, right? Yeah, yeah, like they're yeah. super similar. And um, I'll say for mine, I feel like it's mostly overcoming the monster and, and whether that's the physical monsters in the, the book or yeah. internal monsters. But I certainly have questing, but I wouldn't say that's the, the core, the yeah. core plot of the book. Yeah. So I guess we should take a quick step back and say, like, in case no one knows what we're talking about, archetypes are basically like a model for how to tell a story, right? Even a character, right? I'm going to use the word formula to, like, accomplish the goals of a story. And we'll, we'll dive into each one. But they're not like... And I think they existed before they were named, right? I think yes. what we're referring to is, like, literary theory. When people went back and looked at, you know, literature that had been written um, over time, they yeah. tended to fall within these basic seven plots yep not always so neatly but it's a way to categorize and which you know is maybe a little reductive i think when it comes but is a new writer planning i think it's a helpful tool yeah to think about a a starting point for you right (laughs) because we were both like i think we we started reading like researchers were like oh this would have been helpful if we actually focused on this and thought about this a bit more well you know you brought up a good point that it was in save the cat that we had read it was and even then i was like 
mine mostly fits into one of these. And I don't re- recall what Jessica Brody's her like nomenclature was for it, but it was still it was similar. You yeah, know, they were similar. She's got like uh, 10 in here, but there's a lot of like there's the it, it's kind of weird because they're kind of a cross between. It's interesting. I guess genre could also be an archetype, right? If you're saying you're writing a thriller, there's it's like a model for the type of story you plan to tell. And there's certain things you need to accomplish within that. Or is it, I guess like it's archetype and then there's oh, I think like, it's kind of, yeah, they kind of work together. I, I think right? genre would be umbrella term, right? Yeah. And then inside of that genre, you'd have an archetype story. Cause I think right. you could have a sci-fi story. That's, that's like a why done got it a quest. Like who done yeah, it or something that, like that. Yeah. Like uh, what robots and murder or something. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, so like the, in the, uh, save the cat, they've got a why done it rites of passage, institutionalized superhero dude with a problem fool triumph and buddy love out of the bottle golden fleece monster in a house but these are kind of mashups of all the the seven we'll go through on the, the master class just to kind of keep it focused so all these things all these structures all these stuff we talk about it's like mostly all just guides to kind of keep you focused and i think again setting expectations for for when you write up your synopsis or whatever you you're telling the reader what you're going to what you're actually going to do in the story so they're not like thrown off using it as a tool you know to get going yeah. it's it's something that you know in hindsight i leaned into a little but i was like you know let's we'll make this a little organic and yeah i think that can be used like i said before as a resource and a, and a jumping off point because you don't want to get to you know act to your book and be like what kind of book is this like yeah. where is this generally falling like by <laughs> yeah. then you should kind of you should kind of know yeah you know and in fact you should probably know before you put pen to pad and as we keep saying, make sure you know where they're going, where they're going to end up. Make sure you know where your characters end up. <laughs> yeah, we can have a whole other podcast about that one. <laughs> Third acts, Jesus. Um, all right, so should we just go through each of these? Yeah, let's go through them. So from the master class one, seven classic uh, story archetypes. So the first one I got is Rags to Riches, which is awesome in the Save the Cat. Pretty straightforward, right? Rag, rags to Riches story. Poor derelict main character gains something they lack, money, power, love. Loses it and then wins it back again by the end of the story. I guess it's a pretty popular like fairy tales like Cinderella, Disney animated films are pretty big with this, right? Aladdin, Ratatouille, that type of that type of uh, story. Um, I guess it's more of an it's also like an underdog story. Uh, we'll move on. So do you want to go to the quest? Yes. So the quest uh, main character must reach a certain location, attain a certain, a certain object or fulfill a certain objective while conquering many obstacles along the way. Uh, classic examples. We've got the Odyssey. Uh, Lord of the Rings, which Tim loves. Just about done with two towers right now, reading to the kids. Harry Potter series, like those are like the kind of very obvious examples of the quest. Um, I think my book uh, falls pretty strongly in this category. And yours has also got a lot of questing going on, right? So I have some questing, but, but I don't think that it is at its core this that story archetype yeah and i think that might be just my it i might have questing in there because of my experience reading books of this nature i think it might have just kind of organically come out that they needed like kind of goals and like little side quests to to move them about i mean yours is definitely this and the and the the, one of the following ones coming up i think it it doesn't start off as a quest it's it's yeah, I, I would lean on that it has aspects of this one, but it's it's not the whole thing. Yeah, the quest is relatively straightforward. It's what we think mm-hmm. about when we have like you know fantasy books or the majority of like fantasy, eh, probably even sci-fi is going to be. I mean, quest would fall into the hero's journey, right? That's like uh, yeah. the Joseph Campbell. Yes. So then the next one, third one, and not in any particular order. Just I guess is how they had numbered them. Um, rebirth. So rebirth story archetype has its roots, you know, typically obviously in religion. Think of biblical resurrection of Jesus, the Jesus, uh, but in common practice it may simply involve a character changing their ways and becoming a better person. 
resulting in a happy ending. Old school examples, Christmas Carol, that's a classic rebirth story. Beauty and the Beast, and for some reason I have Groundhog Day listed in here, which is a very random movie to, to list, but... Yeah, for me, rebirth in books and in movies, it, it tends to be an aspect, but yeah. not the core story archetype. I mean, it always happens, you know, it, it yeah. happens in Lord of the Rings, but because it, it happens to Gandalf, you know, it, it happens Matrix. in... Yeah, it happens in the Matrix, I mean, that's right? Like it a... happens in a bunch of stuff, but it, <laughs> I wouldn't say that it's necessarily that story archetype. All right, so the next one we got here, uh, Overcoming the Monster. So this story archetype rooted in ancient classics like Perseus, Beowulf, and the biblical David and Goliath involves a hero who must conquer some sort of evil force. So this is kind of interesting because I see that they're listing the original Star Wars trilogy fits this archetype. As we all know, we love to talk about Star Wars here. What? Yeah, and this is the one that they're they're saying is tied to the hero's journey. This is kind of fascinating. Like these two these two different articles have like completely <laughs> different completely takes. Completely different takes. takes on like they they're using all the same words, but like all of the the examples are falling into like completely different categories, which is really funny. But I mean, the way this is described, overcoming the monster, yeah, sure, I guess that would be Star Wars would be overcoming the monster. But well, how is that not the hero's journey? I mean, it totally. I mean, it totally is, which is like a whole other archetype in itself, right? Right. Which also falls in kind of the quest. So these are all kind of like mashed together. And maybe I'm being a little too literal with overcoming the monster because in my head, I think Frankenstein, right? Yeah. I think yeah, yeah, Dracula. No, I, I think like, that's listed here too. Such stories often intertwine with theorists. Uh, Joseph Campbell referred to as the hero's journey. So inter- this this will or intertwine with the hero's journey. Not that it, that not that it is. So okay. Again, the hero's journey kind of covers a lot of general storytelling. Like, oh, it's a kitchen sink approach, right? It's like I don't think it's necessarily a story archetype. It's 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 like the story structure. Yeah, of many story archetypes. <laughs> yeah. Which like all of these can fall into. And so I think if I'm being literal, mine would be literally this archetype. I think I have an overcoming the monster. Your story. Yes. I think think so. so. Yeah. Because I think there is both like the external physical monsters that exist in the tangible world. And I think there is like the illusory societal monsters. And I think there is the internal demons and monsters. And I think that's where my book comfortably fits. Yes. But there's questing, you know, there's the hero's journey, you know, there's, is there rebirth? There's rebirth. Jeez. I've got a uh, man. You, you got a lot of all. these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's overcoming a monster. Um, and then we got the comedy, but a comedic plot lines subvert expectations and blend the familiar with the absurd to keep audiences laughing on their toes. So, I mean, it's a comedy. And I don't know what he falls into like absurdist, but I feel like so much of pension is mm. comedy. Okay. Like, because there's this kind of like postmodernism, especially when you get to things like Inherent Vice. Like Inherent Vice had me laughing out loud. Like I, it's so rare that I sit down and read a book and laugh out loud, right? And yeah. it was just so humorous. Yet it's a detective story, right? Yeah. So his genre would be like a crime, like crime, but the main character is a burnout from like post hippie era who can't remember any of the plot threads and it's hysterical. Like he just stumbles from vignette scene to vignette scene um, is like the least effective private eye ever. (laughs) Um, It had me rolling, like absolutely loved it. Same thing with crying a lot. 49. Yeah. Yet gravity's rainbow, which is absurdist and um, yet sci-fi in a way I, I couldn't get through. Yeah. You know, so there's, it was too thick and I couldn't find the humor in it, but um, I, I would lump and maybe I'm wrong, 
But for things that I find like comedy, I feel like pinch in falls really, really nicely into that bucket. And then on, the, on the, the mirror image side of things, the next next uh, archetype would be tragedy, which is protagonist is undone by a critical character flaw or by the cruelty of fate. William Bill Shakespeare there, as I like to call him. Bill, Bill Shakespeare. Oh, yeah, Billy. Kinda, Billy. Yep. The old Billy. <laughs> the old Billy Shakespeare kind of uh, nailed this one. Uh, Macbeth, Hamlet, King Lear, Othello, Romeo and Juliet. Um, heavy, heavy in that, that category. I, I think most, if we're talking about things that don't fit nicely, I feel like most or a lot of books will have a tragedy element. It's usually when you get into like the character turn of All is Lost and Dark Knight. Yep. I think the difference in tragedy is that it ends on that note. Yeah. You know, it yeah. ends on like there isn't a happy ending there. No. There is very much like if I'm thinking of modern day examples that, that I've recently read, like Pet Cemetery, I think mm. is a tragedy, mm-hmm. even though it fits into this kind of overcoming the monster mold. I think it's a tragic story like, and, it, and it feels that way. Yeah. yeah. And I think King has written a few of them over the years. Even The Shining, probably a tragedy. Whereas like it is is much more probably overcoming the monster with a, a little bit of the quest. And then the final one, Voyage and Return, which again, this just feels like... Hero's the, Journey. Right? So Voyage and Return story sends a protagonist to a strange land from which they will turn armed with wisdom and life experience. That's basically the hero's journey. Hero's journey covers like three of these seven. <laughs> these seven. But again, I think it's like we said, I think it's more story structure and then these kind of fall into like the, you know, maybe sub sub buckets here. There's always sub buckets when it comes to writing, you know, there's always sub buckets, but. And it's um, interesting, right? So like with this masterclass resource, they put Voyage and Return, they put The Hobbit in there. Yes. But they put Lord of the Rings in, in the quest. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, but they have very similar structures. And I mean, did they put the Hobbit there just because the subtitle is there and back again? I mean, because if you're looking literally at Lord of the Rings, it's there and back again. Like they go out and they come back. Um, It's just much more grand in scale. It's much, much bigger. And I think it, so going through those, like those are the, the general seven there. But um, I think what the thing to note here is that, again, these can all be, I mean, as we're as we're going through them, we're realizing and seeing that they can all just be mixed and matched. Right. You can have elements yeah. of, of each one. Um, so you can take like I'm reading this other resource here. And it's like, oh, how do you how do you make this you know voyage and return your own? You know, you can. You know, mix and match these and, you know, with the different character types, right? So you're going to mm-hmm. have a character who usually goes on a voyage and return after, you know, after having slaughtered the evil darkness, you know, plaguing the other land. So overcoming the monster. And then they can also have all their hopes and dreams destroyed when they're in the other land tragedy. So you can like mash these things together yeah, uh, to, to kind of create your own story. So I think that's that's the key thing is that no story will necessarily fit directly in any of these buckets. It could. I think that's fine. But, and maybe if you're writing for like a younger audience, maybe you stick firmly in Voyage and Return because it won't be as long to have like multiple questing elements, right? Yeah. I think the examples they're giving are more child. Like The Hobbit skews way younger than Lord of the Rings does. Yeah. They're including Alice in Wonderland skews way lo- younger. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's it. That's Those are roughly the seven classic story archetypes. Uh, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to comment about those or no other than it's just kind of a mess and yeah. um, <laughs> you use them uh, to get started and don't feel locked into them. Yeah. And, and like Russ said, pick and choose, you know, for different elements or different moments in your story from, from other ones, if it's going to strengthen the piece. Yeah. Um, I, I do feel like you should have one main 
like one that you feel comfortably yeah. falling into yeah. and then take elements of, of a couple others, but having one where you're like, okay, this is the general story one. Cause it would definitely help you like kind of guide. Right. And like, like we said in the beginning, we're like, man, I kind of wish I thought more about these um, when I first started writing. But I think a lot of times, you know, some of these things might happen as you're going through the story. Like, so if you pick yeah. one, you're like, hey, I'm going to do a voyage and return, but you might pull in some other elements, some, from some other parts that, which I think you might discover as you go along and that's fine. Um, but I think as long as you're kind of staying focused on like, this is a story because that's what, again, coming back to like the reader expectations, if you set that up as this being the story and yeah. then halfway through all of a sudden it becomes a, a comedy or something, it's like, well, what are you doing here? You've, you've kind of pulled the rug out from under your, your reader. So especially if you're just getting started, I feel like if you want to yeah. experiment as time goes on, but I think one of the reasons why I was initially a little squirrely around these is because as a new writer, it feels reductive and you want to yeah. believe that your work is special and it's, it's not, it's I mean, no offense. <laughs> I mean, it, it's special because it's your perspective and it's your right. words and it's your lived experience. But as far as structure and expectations, it shouldn't be, it's at least if it's like your first novel yeah. or two. I think it's more of like a understand, know these tools so you can then create your own create your own story, but with your perspective, I mean, that, I think that's, what's important to know. So I think because once again, we want it to be personally, I want it to be a collaborative experience and I, I want to have some relatable elements with, with the audience. I don't want it to just be me depositing knowledge. You know, I, I want there to be certain touch points yep. where people can relate to certain things and, and challenge or agree with. And, um, you know, the, these tools I think help because they're what we expect, you know, as humans, when it comes to fiction and especially genre fiction. Yeah. So then we'll, we'll, we'll tackle the, the, the characters um, next time, but I don't know. So what have you been, uh, what have you been reading, reading, watching? Still going through Lord of the Rings, two towers with the kids. We're yeah. about 70% done. They're staying up more and yeah. not falling asleep to it because I think it's gotten interesting for them. Okay. Before they were like, Oh, Rohan and uh, horse Lords and doing dishes and, and uh. <laughs> but as soon as we got to like Frodo, Sam and Gollum, they're like, Keep reading because Keep yeah. the book has gotten so much more accessible. It's way more accessible than, you know, the fellowship was. Mm -hmm. and, and now just with, with these character moments and it's a lot of dialogue and the, the kids are just rallying around like Gollum's speech patterns and, mm. you know, how like it's very, um, it's very engaging. Like last night, Quinn was like, I love how he talks. He's so cute. You know, <laughs> it's weird how that kind of comes across. Yeah, yeah. You know, just with just with language and, and just with sentence structure and repetition that Tolkien uses. So yep. it made me think of like I use a, a character and I, I try to give him a, a little bit of an accent. Another one of those kind of tools at your disposal, like how to make a character stand out and and seem other otherworldly or different. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Very Reading much maps. in the very much in the the quest slash hero's journey the quest, right? Yeah, I I think it's I mean, it's a whole bunch, but I, I guess it's the quest. You yeah. Know, with the, I mean, it is a quest. It's and it's more of a quest, I think, than the Hobbit because they're like, "Here, Frodo. Here's a ring. Go do this. <laughs> go do, go do this thing." Now, yeah. everybody else, you have other quests, right? Yeah. Like they're yep. they're kind of sprawling out across the map, and and then I'm still reading the deep, just about done with that. That's um, in the cutter uh, one. Yeah, it's that cutter ones. Is it as good as the 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 troop? It's different, different than the troop. Okay. Is it horror um, still, or it is horror? Okay. It, it's more of um like a Leviathan or okay. uh, alien, you know, how it's like a remote facility, whether it be space or underwater type yep. of thing. Yep. And something's amiss or so it has elements of like, I think more film touch points. It has elements of like Leviathan or the, the abyss or 
there's all these like you know you're you're trapped on an isolated derelict something or other yep. whether it be a yep. lab or a space station and people are going crazy so it's a little more like sunshine or event horizon in that way okay okay so um but it falls very firmly in that that genre or that subgenre of yeah. you know you're you're isolated and going crazy and you can't get out uh, how do you do it overcoming the monster type of thing yeah except the monsters are i mean there is an exterior external monster yeah but it's hard to tell whether it's a hallucination of like the monsters within Yep. like yep. people's past keeps coming to haunt them, which is very, very it, honestly. Okay. Um, yeah. Where like, is there this kind of otherworldly thing that's manifesting their fears? Yeah. The, the world itself is interesting because it's weird because he sets up above the ocean. At first, there's this outbreak that's happening and it's called the gets and people keep forgetting, you know, it's like, and it's like Alzheimer's, you know, but in a, turned up to a thousand. Yeah, yeah. So that's the setup. Like the world is in is going through an apocalypse and, and people are getting sick because of this outbreak and other people are researching this kind of new potential treatment at the bottom of the ocean. Yep. So people can't tell if this kind of new treatment is making them crazy or if maybe they're falling victim to this virus. Mm. And me, I'm selfishly, I'm like, oh, I kind of wish more of the story took place up top during the outbreak scenario because that's always interesting to me yeah, yeah. as opposed to like this happened this is kind of the background world that we're living in now we're going to go down you know 18 miles under the ocean and, and you know think about our fears and go into multiple flashbacks like yeah, so yeah. many flashbacks hmm. of like things that I, I don't find scary hmm. like i think this author has he's scared of trunks for some reason trunks scare him trunks not like elephant trunks, but like, like a car uh, trunk. No, like um, like a trunk you put stuff in. Yeah, like his. It was like his toy trunk. Oh, okay. Like when yeah. he was a kid. Yeah. But then there's other trunks. It's like, and there's a monster in the trunk, maybe. And you know, there's a flashback about how he was scared of the trunk. And trunks don't scare me. They never have. So it, it, okay. it was hard to relate to like that. You've never that been. Fear. You've never been trapped in one, so you don't know yet. <laughs> Neither was he. <laughs> <laughs> Except now for the metaphor is that he's un in one right under the water and you know. Yeah. The, the day you become scared of trunks is when you get locked inside of one. So yeah. that's yeah. But, I mean, but if you're a horror moment. fan, if you're a horror fan, I'd recommend it. You know, it's it's not bad. I mean, the, the troop is just disgusting and fun. Yeah. Th this is a little less fun. They're always just crawling through a vent. You know, it's <laughs> it's like Lord of the Rings, but with vents. With vents. <laughs> <laughs> It's very dark and they can't see and yeah. you know that's it come out to the coast have a few drinks watching the fall of the house of usher on okay. netflix which is that new flanagan joint okay he's a talented dude i, I don't love his king adaptations um i guess gerald's game was okay yeah. but dr sleep not so much um i enjoyed the book but the movie not so much but yeah so he's done like uh midnight mass which i thought was really great he did um what was it haunting on hill house mm -hmm. stuff like that so his new one is uh kind of sort of Edgar Allan Poe adaptation of the fall of the house of Usher. Okay. But inside of that, it actually happens to be adaptations of like murders of the room morgue, like telltale heart a little bit. Okay. So like it, my experience, I think just, I think those get, it's like homework when you're in middle school and high school to read those shorts. So I think most of us have read them. So it, it's a bummer only because you know, it's going to happen in the episodes if you've read any of the short fiction that exists. So he does some really nice kind of, you know, plot moves to distract you from what's going to happen. 
But if you read the book, you know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you know that there's going to be a monkey attacking. You know, somebody's <laughs> going to be trapped in the wall. You know, but um, it's good. Uh, I'd give it. A, it's a really great, you know, Halloween watch. So it's his last Netflix jam. I think he's moving on to maybe Amazon. Okay. I think they might have tapped him for Dark Tower. Maybe. Oh, interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure. I don't know. But, I don't know. I'm not sure. But I know his agreement with Netflix is is over now. Anyway, how about you? What are you What are you reading? What are you watching? Uh, let's see. I just started. I'm about a third of the way through uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I had never read it, so I'm, that's a nice comp for where you are right that's now. Exactly what I'm. Yeah, that's why I picked it up. So I'm gonna probably read the trilogy because it seems like all the the three that uh, was a Stieg 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 there wrote. Um, seem like to be Stieg Larson. Stieg Larson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the three that he wrote are good, and then all the other ones it's i guess someone else had picked up like writing like a whole series and they're kind of like somewhat mediocre um, oh i didn't know that yeah someone else had like the family it was kind of interesting i was kind of doing some quick research because he passed away in like 2004 i think suddenly oh i guess the family had taken over you know obviously the the whole his estate there and handed it off to someone who's now written like six or seven other girl you know spider's web or whatever you know blah blah, blah. um and they're kind of just like it's funny to see all of them just drop below four stars. Like the first three, are like four stars plus on like Goodreads or something, and then the rest are like three yeah. seven, three eight. So uh, clearly a dip in in quality. Oh man, um, he died of a heart attack at fifty. Yeah, man. Oh, man, I guess in addition to writing, you gotta go, exercise. Go for a run. <laughs> While you're listening to this podcast, go for a run. Okay, go for a walk. I mean, it could have it could have been a genetic day. something or other. But <laughs> absolutely. But I know. will say that as I've been like into editing as much as I have been lately, I am sitting so much like <laughs> so much gotta go for those like, walks <laughs> it's crazy like actually i'm yeah. thinking about getting a standing desk and, a, and a, like a little walking treadmill underneath <laughs> because if this is what it's gonna be like if i continue this to is, write your, and work this is your life dude you gotta move <laughs> you gotta move so yeah i started that uh very really enjoying it man it is i, I mean i've seen the movies i've the, the original and then i've seen the remake david fincher's which i love both of them um but man reading the book it's like this is this is heavy dude. It's like six hundred page book, and it's just like I forgot how many characters there are because it goes mm. to the whole family tree and like, oh like, wow, holy smokes! Like I'm forgetting all the different vangers there are. I'm like holy smokes! Like they even have like a family tree in like the book, like one chapter. Oh wow! And I'm just like this is crazy, and then like all the detail. It's just so detailed, like the backstory for every single person in the family too. Like gets into it. I'm like, I'm like I'm struggling with coming up with backstory for like three characters and there's like there's like 25 like fan members and he's got this whole thing where they were where they came from i'm like holy shit so it kind of fascinating to see the detail but it's um and i'm also surprised at how engaged i am in reading it because that's all it is it's just like a ton of information right now like nothing nothing is really happening other than you know the old grandfather there giving um uh bloomquist there the you know the details of his the backstory of his family and it's just so much um but I'm enjoying that. Uh, that's all I've been reading right now. I got a couple of books lined up. Was that his first book? Oh, I have no idea. I think it's his first. I think Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is his first book. I mean, really? I'm sure he's written shorts or something beforehand, but what an achievement. <laughs> oh, now, now I feel really useless. Thanks for that. <laughs> well, I mean, let's uh, pull it back for a second. Is it enjoying? Is it enjoyable reading about all of the character biographies and knowing the family tree. I mean, it is, but it's a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Uh, I guess because 
and it's weird because I've seen the movie, so I know how I kind of, and I'm sure it follows pretty closely along with it, but like, I know where this goes, um, the mystery goes, but it's just, um, it's interesting. It's like a picture, like a, like a, a sci-fi, a really heavy sci-fi novel where like, there's describing the world, right? And you're just like so mm-hmm. engrossed in that world. And this is kind of like the same thing, but for like a crime thriller where you're like, I know all these details and all these things. And I'm like, I'm curious to hear what the next like story of the next character we need to know about. And like, um, I think it's kind of, I think it's done really well. Um, yeah, it is in depth and I'm only a third of the way through it. And it's just, wowza. It looks like he worked on some nonfiction books and like periodicals, but as far as fiction goes, he was a journalist. I think he was, a those writer. were his, those three books are yeah. his only three books. And his first book is the girl with the dragon tattoo. So that is super impressive. Yeah. And crazy that he passed away in 2004 before he could like, you know, probably really enjoy all, all like the, the acclaim it got. I mean, the original one came out in what? He began writing his first book in 2002. Best known for writing the Millennium Trilogy of Crime Novels starting in 2005. Wow, that's crazy. He was the second best-selling uh, fiction author in the world for 2008, owing to the success of the English translation of The Girl, Girl the Dragon Tattoo. And the third and, and final novel of the Millennium Trilogy, The Girl Who Kicked the, the Hornet's Nest, became the best-selling book in the United States in 2010. But good for him. It says he started working on the first chapter in 97. Okay. Yep. And then it was kicked down by some publishers, but eventually kind of picked up. He had originally planned. This was supposed to be 10 books, books. right? Yeah, 10 books. He completed two and most of a third. We began looking for publishers at the time of his death in 2004. Only three had been completed. That's crazy. Uh, Anyways, so yeah, uh, we're working through that. And then I started the uh, Silo series. Oh, oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. (laughs) Um, four episodes, four episodes in, and I'm very much enjoying it. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Four episodes in. I'm only four episodes in now, but I mean, there's like, own opinion. there's only 10. So, uh, I am enjoying it. It's interesting cause it's more, it feels like it's more of like, kind of like a, like a crime mystery than it is anything else. It's like a mystery of like, how did this get made into a show? <laughs> I don't <laughs> I, I, well, at least the four episodes, I don't feel that way. So maybe it's my inner, uh, uh, contrario to Tim, my inner Tim. Yeah. Contrario. <laughs> so you're four episodes in, I think at that point, hasn't a, a character died in every episode so far? Uh, yes. And she's yeah. become, she's become sheriff. Right. Because you want to promote the mechanic in this, you know, well, you know, fascist society. that's how you give the person who, who needs to seek the truth, who knows there's a truth out there. That's how you give them the power to do that. You but make them sheriff. That doesn't make any sense. It makes them sheriff. They would, they would never make her sheriff. I, mean, I think they, they discuss uh, the they dislike for that choice. I mean, pretty heavily. But they're like. And she's not technically. I mean, she's still like, she doesn't even want to do it either. So she's kind of right. like, I don't want to do this. And she's also like, hey, I'll find like. We'll keep doing well, this thing until we find She can't want to do it because in that part of the story, she's supposed to refuse the call. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's true. And, and uh, I mean, no one, I think no one, even the deputy there doesn't want her to, to be doing this, but I think he's going to grow on her. So, or she's going to grow on it him. It seems like a really um, strict society to just let somebody with no experience become sheriff. That's my only point. I mean, they address that because they're like, hey, how much experience did you have as an engineer? She had none, so... I guess she had a little bit from like when she's a kid when they do the flashbacks. They're like, like, well, now you've got a gun and you're going to protect this really volatile underground facility. doesn't seem like anyone's really supposed to be doing what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to wait until I get to the end. I'm going to wait until I get to the end because I've got theories of what this place is, but I'm enjoying it so far. So, all right. All right. Good. I'm glad you're enjoying it. (laughs) So that's it. I think we're done. We're done here. We're done. This is it. Right. 
this is it. So next time we're doing a character archetypes. Yeah, we'll go through those. Uh, There's plenty, uh, plenty to to converse about that. So that'll be our next episode. But until then, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this, share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. You can follow us on Instagram, Writer Syndrome Books. We're still on the Twitter. On the Twitters. Writer underscore syndrome. We're now on the YouTubes, so you can go listen oh, to yeah. us. Oh, yeah. We're on the YouTubes now, so you can go. I'm starting to, we're starting to backfill some of our, our episodes there. And I'll say, if you're um, if you're an author and want to be interviewed, we'd, we'd love to have you on. Absolutely. We've um, interviewed a couple before. Yep. And their sales just skyrocketed. Skyrocketed. I mean, <laughs> like through the roof, bestsellers instantly as soon as Best we talk sellers. to you. So, uh, But you can find all our episodes and all that information at our website, writersyndrome.com.